Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is simply, Please Try Again. Let me read you a few quotes here. If at first you don't succeed, then skydiving definitely isn't for you. There are two rules for success in life. Rule number one, don't tell people everything you know. Here's the next one. I may go back over that one for the slow. If at first you do succeed, try not to look astonished. If at first you don't succeed, destroy all evidence that you tried. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again, then quit. There's no use in being a stinking fool about it. Those are some quotes, obviously not from Scripture, but there you have it. All right, now let me give you a definition for the word try, for instance. The word try can mean to examine or investigate judiciously, to conduct the trial, to participate as counsel in the judicial examination of. It can also mean to put to test or trial. It can also mean test the powers of endurance. But the one I want to focus on today is to make an attempt at. One of the basic challenges of being a Christian, one of the basic challenges of living a godly life And anybody who's become a Christian or even thinking about it, one of your biggest challenges is you say, well, you know what? I am not going to be one of those hypocrites. So I'm better off not even giving my life to Christ, not even signing up, not even converting, getting saved, being born again, whatever words you got. I'm not even getting in the game because I know me. If I get in the game, I'm going to screw up. Then I'm going to be just like one of those hypocritical Christians. And I'm not doing that. Anybody who considers trying to live a godly life knows if you get in, you can fall down. You can screw up. Now, guys, I don't even have to start down here and go row to row. You can start right here with me. I mean, there is not anybody on the planet who is not screwed up. Now, some of you are trying to perfect this, and that's part of the problem. That is not the design. And I think sometimes God in his mercy, you know, people have this concept, this God in heaven, this big stick, this big club, this kind of cosmic club that wham is going to come down and smack the earth. And, you know, that he's just dying. He's just waiting for the chance to just wipe us all out. You can't come up with that when you see this God sending his son Jesus to be merciful and kind and gracious and reaching out, coming our way, trying to help us. He's not against you. He is for you. And if he's for you, who can be against you, the book says. Now, some of you listening here, beyond here today, wherever you are, I'm telling you, you're down. You're down for the count. Some of you are in counseling. It's so bad. You've screwed up so bad your wife is this close or your husband is this close to saying, you know what, you are out of here. Or they've already said that you're sleeping in separate houses or you're in a hotel room. Your boss has about had it. You've come in drunk too many times. You've come in late too many times. And now you're starting to give up. And it's like the Holy Spirit somewhere along the way whispers sometime, someplace, please try again. Do what I'm asking you to do. Don't give up. Get back in the game. Give it your best shot. Now, let me read you a little snippet out of a speech that Winston Churchill gave in the middle of the war when they were being pummeled. He was at a school giving this speech, and I'll just jump in in the middle of the speech. He said, you cannot tell from appearances how things will go. Sometimes imagination makes things out far worse than they are. Yet without imagination, not much can be done. 
Those people who are imaginative see many more dangers than perhaps exist. Certainly many more than will happen. But then they must also pray to be given that extra courage to carry this far-reaching imagination. But for everyone, surely what we have gone through in this period, I'm addressing myself to the school, he says, surely from this period of 10 months, this is the lesson. And he slowed down as my understanding of this speech and said this, never give in, never give in, never, 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 never in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Now you say, well, it's too late. I've already given in. Then my prayer for you today is this. Please try again. Because see, if you're down, you're either going to die down or you're going to get up. And if you're down and you can't pick yourself up, then you're going to have to find somebody bigger than you to pick you up. Now, for some reason, I've been hit recently with conversations, things that I've been reading in books And it's amazing when you don't go through certain things that you don't really think about it if other people are going through it. You'd be absolutely stunned at how many people, maybe here today, certainly beyond this place, struggle with depression. They wake up in a cloud. They live all day long in a cloud. They go to sleep in a cloud. They wake up in the middle of the night in a cloud. And it is dark. It is gloomy. It is overwhelming. And they can't seem to get out. And some people's answer is, well, there's sin in their life. You know what? Sometimes it's chemical. It's physical. And I know we got people say, no, it's not. It's all spiritual. Then don't take any more aspirins for your headache. You know, we have all these things and then selectively somebody gets in a funk in their brain and we just want to spiritualize it. Sometimes you need some help to get up. Now, I'm not saying something to get addicted to or whatever, but you have no idea. I have had times in my life personally where I literally felt I was standing up, but I was on the ground. I couldn't pick myself up by my bootstraps and I didn't know who to cry out to. And I was in so much pain, so much anguish emotionally, and I was trying to hold it all together. You just start falling apart. And we got people sitting here probably today who live and feel this way. And you're trying, and I'm saying try again, but it may be more than just that. You may need to tell somebody, look, I'm going down. I am down and I cannot get up. And I need some help. Whatever the situation, at some point you need help. Now this is why, and I don't mean to harp on this, but I'm going to anyway. Why is church so stinking important? Not going to some building and singing songs and listening to somebody talk. The body of Christ getting in a community. I sat in a room yesterday morning, nine or ten of us guys in a room, and it got very real, very vulnerable, and not everybody's comfortable with that. Let me tell you something. If you are not a part of a group of people connected in a community, men or if it's women, women, where they know you, know who you are, and when you go down, they notice it, and you're not here or somewhere you're supposed to be, and they pick up the phone and say, what are you doing? Why weren't you here? You say, what are you tracking me? Exactly, I'm tracking you. are my friend. I love you. See, some of you have figured out a way to just kind of be stealth and you move in and out. That's all fine if you're in control. But when you lose control and nobody knows where you are, you're in trouble. You need to be a part of a group of people that can love you and help you and encourage you because you're going to need somebody to reach down and grab you in the race and say, hey, let's do it again. Let's try again. Let's keep going. We'll carry you if you have to. And you can watch any war movie, if they're worth their salt, if it's any soldiers that I would like to pattern my life after, they go into battle together and they come out of battle together. You may be in a body bag, but they will pick you up on their shoulders and you will make it to at least friendly ground. They will not leave you on the battlefield. And unfortunately, churches are the worst places on the planet where we don't just leave our wounded, we shoot them on the battlefield. 
instead of help them up. It doesn't mean you can't confront, you can't challenge, you can't encourage, but at some point we've got to stick together and help one another do this. One other quote, triumph is just oomph added to try. Now it really is something beyond that because it is not just enough to try. At some point you have to cross the try line and you have to trust. And you say, Father, I'm sitting here on my butt. I can't move. There's nobody that can move me. I'm paralyzed with fear, depression, whatever it is. You're going to have to literally come get me. I'm willing to try, and I'm willing to trust you, but you're going to have to do this. And literally, God himself picks you up. And I'm telling you, we have all, at some point, if you haven't been there, you will, when you know that literally the God of the universe comes after you. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And he says this, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now, what is repentance? It's to change your mind. There's different words used for this. But it'll change your direction. It'll change your life. But God comes along and gently, in his goodness, his kindness, he says, look, what are we doing down here? Try again. Get up. Let's go. I've told you what to do. I've given you the power, the equipment, the gifts, everything you need. Let's just act on that. Take a step of faith. Let's try it again. Turn a few verses over. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody's screwed up. I mentioned this a minute ago, but let me read you this word for fall short. To fail, be wanting, to be in want of, lack, to suffer want, to be devoid of, to lack, be in fear and excellence or worth. We've all fallen short. We've all felt that way. It's not a good feeling. So what? So we've all fallen short. You know, I've been praying and thinking about this. I've had this thing going through my head for months now. This please try again. Please try again. And you go looking in the Bible. I think, well, I got to find some real specific examples of men's lives. And there's a lot of them in there, but it's really not some place you can find a story. And then it dawned on me, it's the whole Bible. The whole point of the whole book is we've all screwed up. Jesus said, I got an answer. Please try again. What Adam got wrong Jesus corrected and made possible for the rest of us to get right. And now the Holy Spirit says, let's try again. Let's do it God's way. We don't have to sin. We can live a sinless life. You say, well, I can't do that. You know why you can't do that? Because you think you can't do that. You think you've got to sin. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but you don't have to sin. There's no quota that we're running here. All right, go over to Luke chapter 22. Go back to your left. The context here is Jesus, before he was crucified, the Last Supper, the prayer in the garden, being put on trial, all the disciples are with him and they ditch. Most of them do, all of them do at one point. But in Luke chapter 22, we're going to read a few verses to the beginning. Let me start at verse 1. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him. They were trying to get Jesus killed. For they feared the people. Now I want you to stop a minute before you read verse 3. Because I read it again. And sometimes I blow through this stuff. And I'm trying to get everybody to slow down. Because it is an unbelievable thing that happens here. Jesus picked 12 disciples. One of those disciples was a guy named Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot kept the bag. He was the treasurer of the group. He was with them everywhere for the three years. Listened to Jesus. Heard the whole deal. Knew everything everybody else did. And all of a sudden, in chapter 22, verse 3, it says this, Then Satan entered Judas. It doesn't say a demon. It doesn't say an evil spirit. It's the big S, Satan. Okay? Now, if you don't think the devil is watching what's going on on this planet, zeroed in on Judas and said, that's my man. Somehow he had permission to mess with Judas. 
And I can't explain all these things. I don't know that much about it. And what I do know about it, I don't understand what happened from God's perspective. But the devil latched on to Judas. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money for cash. Sold Jesus for really no money hardly. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the mold. I'll find a place where you're not with all the people so we can snatch him. And here's how much money you're going to get. Gave him money and he starts working his plan. Let me tell you something. And I'm not going off on some argument whether if you're a Christian the devil can come oppress you or possess you and all that. There's varying degrees of opinion on this thing. But the devil, if you give him some room to work, you're in a heap of trouble. And you say, well, I don't believe a Christian can be possessed and that Satan, you know, Judas obviously couldn't have been a believer or the devil wouldn't have done that or couldn't have done that. Whatever it may be, whether you think he can be in you or not, if the devil gets around you or one of his minions decide he's going after you, you're in a heap of trouble. And if you think you can just wing it and throw a prayer here and there and kind of halfway live your Christian life, you're going to get pummeled because the devil means business. He is serious. You say, I don't believe in that. Then you just keep trying it your way and see what happens. I mean, it is not a game to him. So he looked for an opportunity. Judas was it. Now jump down and we'll come back to him in a minute. Go down to verse 25, Luke 22, 25. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? It is not he who sits at the table, yet I'm among you as the one who serves. And Jesus laying out here again, he showed it, he told it, it is about serving. Churches are not places that are supposed to be filled with benefactors, people who say, well, I came to be served today. Your job is to do the serving. And my job is to train the servers to serve, is to be a servant of servers. It is our job to gather together, serve one another, love one another, and leave this place and be servants in the world and let them know we're not here for them to take us on. We're here to take them on in a lot of categories. Verse 28, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Verse 31, And the Lord said, looked at Simon Peter, and didn't call him Peter, he called him Simon. Now listen, you've heard all this stuff, and you've been with Jesus almost about three years now, walking, talking, seeing all these miracles, and then the Messiah himself looks at you, says your name twice, Simon, Simon, now look at the next statement. Satan has asked for you. Not some demon, not some evil spirit. So the devil's been after Judas. He's got Judas going. Now he says, I want him. Singled out Simon Peter, says, I want him. And Jesus looks at Simon. He says, Simon, Simon. Oh man, double time, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. You start sifting something, guys, you're down to the process of refining it and going to find out what's right, what's wrong. It's this process of sifting. Chaff goes. It is a tedious, minute. He's coming after him. He said, Jesus says, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But look at verse 32. But I have prayed for you. Now, I don't think Simon had a clue any more than I have a clue what it means if the devil really comes after you. But the promise is not only has Jesus prayed for Simon, He lives to make intercession for us every day. 
And I'm not saying sometimes the enemy doesn't get me or get you too and we go down. But there Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father and the devil comes in and says, I got him now. He's mine. It's over. I got him down. You can't have him back. He's mine. And Jesus intercedes and says, Father, no. And the Holy Spirit is mobilized. Whatever it takes, the body of Christ, whoever it is, needs to be moved. And the Father says, no, he's not yours. He's mine. And Jesus intercedes, prays for us. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, what is the implication here? Satan's coming after you. He's going to get you. I'm praying. I know you're going to get hit and you're going to go down. You think you're not. In a minute, he'll say that. You think you can't be touched. But I'm asking that your faith would not fail. You don't lose your faith through it all, even if you go down. And the implication here is you're going to go down. But he says, but when you return, when you have returned to me, I know you're going to come back. And when you do, I'm telling you now, I'm praying for you. And I'm telling you to strengthen the other brethren. So it's not just about you. It's about them as well. Look at what Peter says. And everybody seems to know this. If you don't, it's a great passage. Verse 33, Peter looks at him and says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. What are you talking about? I'm here. You know me. I'm the, the rock guy. I'll go to prison. I'll die. I'm in for the long haul. I don't know who these other guys are, but you know you and me. Then he said, Jesus said to him, I tell you. And then he said, Peter didn't say Simon anymore. That okay, you're the rock. I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times. You will deny three times that you even know me. You won't acknowledge that you even know me. Matthew chapter 26, verse 44. Jesus is in the garden. He's asked his disciples to go. Judas has already gone getting the mob to come get him. I'm sure Jesus is aware of what's going on there. The eleven come, takes three a little farther, then he goes by himself to pray, keeps asking them, stay, watch with me, pray, watch with me, pray. It's all he's asking. Hang out with me, be here with me, watch with me, be my friends, and help pray me through this. And so he left them, verse 44, went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? They had done this three times. Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer's hand. In other words, it's too late now. Get up, let's go. Let's go to the next thing. Now let me tell you something about the past. It is just that. You cannot change it. Now, there is consequence to it. And some of the frustration I have is that people get this flippant idea and say, well, you know, God is merciful and he's grace and all these things. And whatever I do, he's going to forgive me. And they just say, I'll just do whatever I want to do. And then I'll settle up with him later. What you factor out in that is that, yes, he will forgive you. There's nothing beyond his reach. He is gracious. He's merciful. You can go out and sleep with whoever you want to. You can take all the drugs you want. You can go party all you want. You can steal money. You can rob a bank. You can do whatever you want, and God will forgive you. What you have miscalculated is there is consequence, and that you cannot remove. And he will not remove it a lot of times. It's part of his discipline to teach you and say, you know what? You thought you could get away with it. I still love you. Didn't change how I love you. You can do whatever you want to do. I'll forgive you. But there is consequence. And there's going to be pain with this. And I'm going to allow it to happen so you'll stay near me and not go do these crazy things. And once you realize, well, I've abused his grace and there's consequence and I'm down for the count, then what does he come along and say? It is his kindness. It is his gentleness that says, okay, now we all know what happened here and there's going to be some consequence, but I still love you and I've still got a plan. Get up. Let's try again. Don't lay there and waller in it and just 
mope and groan the rest of your life. Let's do this again. You say, well, I can't get it by myself. Then get around some people and tell them what's going on. I've done this. This is a mistake I've made. I need some help. I need some encouragement. Somebody's got to help me get up because I don't think God wants me to live this way or die this way. I'm going to try again. Now jump over to Matthew chapter 26, verse 69. Remember what Jesus told him, the, the rooster will crow. Before it does, you'll deny me three times. Now Peter sat outside, verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and saying, Are you also with Jesus of Galilee? But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't even know who you're, what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath. I, you know, basically, I swear, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. We can tell just by your accident. You are with Jesus. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And you can put all the explicative deletives you want in there. He was cursing and swearing. I do not know him. I told you I don't know him. And immediately a rooster crowed. Now look what happens to Peter. And I'm telling you guys, if you think this is in a real living book that you can relate to, then you haven't read this stuff. All of our good intentions. That's right, God, I'm going to stand with you. I'll do whatever you say. I'm yours from now on. I am the man. You are the man. We are the men. We're going to make it all rah, 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 rah. And God says, slow down, slow down. Let's pace this thing. I know who you are. You may not know who you are. I know what you're capable of. Let's just take it one step at a time. One day. No, 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 no. I'll go to prison. I'll die with you if that's what it takes. And Jesus says, buddy, you don't know who's after you. I'm praying for you, but you don't know who's after you. And the force, this power, you need to settle in and trust me, not get all cocky that you've got it under control. At rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times. Now look what happened to Peter. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Now why would you go out and wept bitterly? Because you realize what Jesus said was right, and what he said would happen, happened, and you have betrayed him. And there is remorse, there is pain. Now, if we had time, you can go on and read about Peter. You'll find Peter on a beach with Jesus after Jesus died, was buried, raised from the dead. Jesus out there one morning and three times says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. But Peter was moving slower that day because he had been fast to say, I'll do whatever. Well, you know I love you. Peter got a second chance. Now, let me keep reading here with you in chapter 27, verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was remorseful. He too realized I screwed up. And brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He says, I know what I've done. And they said, what is that to us? You see it. That's your problem, buddy. We paid you, the deal's done, we got who we want, we're going to kill him, that's your problem. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple, and he departed, he left, and what did he do? He went and hanged himself. What diametrically opposed options. We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. 
So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. See, now some of you sit here today or listen somewhere beyond this place and go, you know what? I'm done. I'm down for the count. I'm not trying anymore. And the Holy Spirit comes along and says, no, do not give in to those lies. Don't let the enemy tell you to kill yourself, whatever it may be. But some people somehow buy into, if I'm dead, I'm better off dead than alive, and go out and hang themselves, go out and overdose, go out and blow their brains out. And it's over, but what have you missed out on? And other people hear a message, hear some hope, and say, you know what, God? All right, I'll try again. I'll give it one more shot. Send some people, let these people maybe here or somewhere surround me and encourage me and challenge me. I'm not going down. I'm going to try again. And one guy, his whole life has changed. And Jesus, as he said, literally builds a church on this rock, this foundation. What Peter preached and what he knew used Peter tremendously in spite of the fact that he was a screw up. And Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, is remorseful and goes and kills himself. Don't go kill yourself. That's not God's plan for your life. He wants you to live. He wants you to live abundantly. Please try again. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you, richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.